morning. I need your prayers. Every time to get behind us at this sacred desk, I need your prayers, but especially this morning. We've got something a little different than usual. Not Nothing to surprise you or anything, nothing out, out there off the wall, but just a little bit different what I've got on my heart this morning. Psalm 85. I want to ask you this morning, is America a Christian nation? Is America a Christian nation? That's the question. I've got a lot of history this morning to share with you. This is more of a, I told mom, I said, or Shelby one, I said, I don't know if this is going to be a, a lecture or a message, but, uh, but please bear with me. I've got history I want to share with you concerning our nation. As I was reading and I was studying, Psalm 85 says, The Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Thou hast taken away all, my, all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger towards us, toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Now, First glance here, you say, well, that's not talk. You, we're going to talk about America, and that's not talking about America. Well, no, but if there has ever been a day that America has seen where we needed to be revived again, it is today. We are living in a day where we need to turn back to the old paths. We need to get all this mess that's laying on us off and out of the way, and we need to remember what this nation was founded upon. There is a movement... Uh, I believe it's called the 1619 Movement. Jonathan may be able to confirm this. Uh, 1619 Movement. They are trying to deny the foundation of America in the year of 1776. They're trying to rewrite history to take away the truth of our nation uh, seeking and gaining independence in the year 1776. They want to just get away, get away with it and say, well, it was done long before. Well, do you know what 1619 in the American colonies looked like? We were under British rule. We were under uh, subjection to that government, that mentality. They were uh, enforcing and pushing their tax rules and their tax laws on us long before we ever thought to say anything about it. They were putting the thumb down on our people, and, and that's, the, that's the date that we want to identify with today in our country. Is we want to we go back a little further. It, it, it began a lot further, and there's a lot of other mess to do with it uh, that I could go with, but, but the reality is, is they want to rewrite history. And we've seen that, especially over the past couple years. You see them, they begin to take down, I want to take down these, these monuments. And we start with the Confederate monuments. Those are the easiest ones to take down. Because we say, well, they, they fought for slavery or they, they honored slavery. Well, uh, yeah, slavery, slavery is wrong. I don't, uh, don't personally agree with that. But the reality is, is that history is history. Uh, what has happened has happened. The, the story has been written. And uh, the day that we live in 
I can't change what happened 100 years ago. I can't change what happened 150 years ago, nor am I going to apologize for it. And so the reality is, is that they want to take that down. And it wasn't long, if you watched and followed this, they take down those Confederate monuments and they're calling out the Betsy Ross flag next. Well, we, that's racist because at the beginning of the revolution, there were slaves that were owned, um, and, and, and we just don't, we don't agree or identify as a nation with the Betsy Ross flag. And uh, we, we continue on, and we see that they want to, uh, before too long, Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson, George Washington, the founding fathers have been coming into uh, to the, uh, the question of today's society. We're trying to take people from 200 years ago and make them fit into what 2021 is supposed to look like. And so we see this, and, I, and it begs the question to me, is how far away have we truly gotten from where we began? And that brings up first and foremost the question to me, is America a Christian nation? Now, this scripture here, I, I, we'll come back to this before we, before we end, but there's enough, another verse of scripture that I want to share with you this morning on this Independence Day. And it is John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that is the true source of our freedom. That is where uh, independence truly comes from. It was on the cross of Calvary that Jesus, he, he suffered and he died. And that allowed us to be independent from the tyranny of sin upon this earth. That opened the door for us to live a free life and go the direction we want to go. Go the direction towards him. Go the direction towards heaven one day when we die. That's what opened that door for freedom for us. That's the true source of our freedom. And you will find, if you study history, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you think you know about history, I don't know all that much. I just love to study it. But if you will study it and you will look for the truth, you will find that there were people that believed the foundational truth of John 3.16 that started the very nation we're living in. People, and, and, and had I lived in that day, I would have probably greatly identified with the uh, question, questions and the issues of the tax issues. I was watching and listening to a documentary the other night studying for uh, this message uh, and preparing for this message and what I would share and I was listening to this documentary about taxes and I would have probably been frustrated too uh, with what was going on in the day. But I believe there were some underlying uh, things going on before we realized we had an issue with the taxes uh, that, that maybe we don't look at as much today. I ask you this morning, have you ever heard of the Great Awakening? The Great Awakening, the revival uh, that began, uh, swept across this land in the, in the early uh, 1700s. The Great Awakening. In the, in the 1700s in Europe, in Europe over there, they were going through this philosophical uh, movement called the Enlightenment or the Age of Reason movement. And you'll find the foundation of a lot of scientific and logical thinking going on over there. They were coming up with these things to explain the world. And, and they were trying to explain why things happened the way that they were happening. And this age of enlightenment, enlightenment has caused more uh, uh, questions and more issues in history than you'll, than you'll find in a lot of other places. You'll find that there were some things laid down uh, foundationally then that caused people really to get away from God. And those that were in the churches and those that were serving God, church was during this time becoming more formal. It was becoming more, uh, more closed uh, in and closed out to the world. It didn't really, uh, it wasn't as welcoming as it had once been. You find that that's why many of our families crossed the, the big pond uh, years and years ago is that the foundations laid in these days were foundations of it's going to be done this way. 
If you're not part of this family, if you haven't become educated through this group, then you're not going to be allowed to be uh, partake in church. As far as uh, people being, they'll, they'll just question your salvation if you didn't align exactly with the way that they believed. There wasn't any room for discussion um, compared to what they said was going on. And, and you find that we've always heard and we know that the transition to come to America was out of a uh, sense of looking for religious freedom. We understand that. We understand that, that uh, they had set these colonies up, and, and, and it, for England, it was the easiest thing. Was, it was actually a good thing for them because they wanted their church to be preeminent. They wanted their church to be predominant. They wanted their church to be first and foremost, and it was easiest for all the religious zealots just to leave. And so they came here. That great awakening began, and I want to think about there were some ministers during this great awakening that you'll find. This great awakening was a revival that began and it swept our nation. And there was uh, two main figures of this uh, as far as men that were, were preaching during this time. First was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He was an Anglican minister. So by the way, the Anglican church was the Church of England. So he was, uh, he was a minister of the very church that, that uh, over there. Now let me say this first. Denomination was very different in this day. Had I lived then, I might have been a number of different denominations. The lines were not drawn the way that they uh, are so clearly today. Denomination was different. His, center, his, his message was centered on the idea that humans were sinners, that God was essentially an angry judge, and that individuals needed to ask for forgiveness. And he preached justification by faith alone. You'll find that that's very contrary and challenging to what the Church of England was preaching. 1741, he gave an infamous and emotional sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. One of the most popular sermons ever, ever preached. Now, here's the thing. You hear that message, and I think about a hellfire brimstone preacher. I'm talking step all over your toes. They said he was one of the most monotone men that you have ever heard preach in your life. History records that he... Was, was his preaching was boring the way he presented himself. But I think that's a great picture to think about because the Spirit of God moved. And although he was just who he was, the Spirit of God moved and thousands came to the knowledge of Christ. It wasn't about the man, but it was about the, the message, that, the words that were truly coming out. Through the, very quickly, this message, the news of this message spread through the colonies and they were handing out tracts and they were handing out uh, publications of the message. You know, people used to, they would write the messages down then. You'll find Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great preacher in, uh, in England in the 1800s. You'll find his, uh, his messages written and recording, recorded, nearly all of them. I couldn't imagine having to be that person sitting there writing all that down. And you look at how they write. I mean, they wrote. They literally wrote. It wasn't print. It was written. What a wonderful thing. That's how much they cared about God's word. They wanted to get that spread out. They didn't have the podcast that I have today. They didn't have the radio for somebody to listen to that we have today. They spread that through uh, written, written and printed word. Another man by the name of George Whitfield, Whitefield, he was a minister from Britain. He had a great impact during the Great Awakening. As these churches and these revival fires were, were, were all, all coming up, the, the history records he covered 5,000 miles in America preaching. And preached more than 350 times. What an amazing thing. 5,000 miles, preached 350 times. 
why preachers now, if they didn't get a new car out of it or they didn't get some kind of pat on the back out of it, this man rode a horse, I'm, uh, maybe a carriage. I mean, traveled 5,000 miles. History records that he preached to two or three people at some times. Sometimes one person. There were times where one time he preached to nearly 20,000 people. What a wonderful thing. God's man. He didn't identify with a denomination. He just came and he just preached. You might be standing beside a Presbyterian. You might be standing beside a Baptist. All, done, all denominations there. God's spirit moved. God saved people. They became part of his church. It's not about these men. I just want to share that history with you. Whitefield preached to common people, including slaves, Native Americans. He was even close friends with Benjamin Franklin. You might have a Benjamin Franklin in your pocket. I got an Abraham Lincoln and a George Washington. I don't have a Ben Franklin. Somebody, ben, Benjamin Franklin, he was a very, a very, he was a religious, he was skeptical of religion. But he saw Whitefield and he saw something different in Whitefield. Maybe you see where I'm going, maybe you don't. But coming up towards this very day we're celebrating, building up to this Independence Day, more than the taxes, more than the laws, more than the rule of, of England, there was a revival being stirred in our nation. Some of our family may have heard some of these messages. Wow, how, how wonderful that is. Some of our very loved ones that if we knew them today might be very dear to us if we were to, to get to sit down and talk with them. Those that are, that the blood that pumps through our veins may have heard and maybe even been saved under some of this preaching all those years ago. And it was building up to this day we're celebrating today thinking about the ministers of that great awakening, think about what they were preaching. They were preaching that all people are born sinners. That's the truth, ain't it? They're preaching that when, you're, when you come into this earth, even as little as Riley, you're flesh, you're human. There comes to a point in your life you'll realize, I'm dying and I'm going to go to hell. Matter of fact, they preach that sin without salvation will send a person to hell. All people can be saved if they confess their sins to God, seek forgiveness, and accept God's grace. They preach something that many of the people across the pond didn't like, that if you know God, you can have a personal connection with him. What a beautiful thing. These people didn't like that. The first divisions we see in our nation's history some of the first issues we see in our nation's history were divisions in the church because truth came in and it just divided it. Those that will stand, follow truth, you know what? The old country, they didn't want you to have this book. You know who had this book? You know who had access to this word in its entirety? Were the preachers. That's wrong. That's wrong. There's something very wrong with that. The man up here gets to speak for 40 minutes every Sunday. shouldn't be the only one to have the word. That's not right. You know what they can do? They can manipulate and control when they are the only ones with it. 
This created a sense of nationalism and an individuality in our country. It created in our people those many years ago a, a sense of, you know what, we can have a different opportunity here. They called it the new world. We can have a new opportunity. Thinking on about the time of the Great Awakening, this was a different time. In 1629, the first charter of Massachusetts said, the desire that all the inhabitants would be so religiously, peaceably, and civilly governed as their good life in orderly conversation may win and incite the natives of country to the knowledge and obedience of the only true God and Savior of mankind. What I would give today that a piece of legislation would come out of any of these governments to say something like that. Yeah. Amen. Man. It's going to take a revival. It's going to take change in people's hearts. It's going to take a great awakening. It says, As their good life and orderly conversation may win and incite the natives of country to the knowledge and obedience of the only true God and Savior of mankind. They didn't just mention God. It wasn't just in God we trust. It was He is the Savior of all. And the Christian faith which is our royal intention and the adventurous free profession and the principal end of this plantation. Their very goal in the creation of Massachusetts was to serve and to worship the one true God. January 14, 1693, the fundamental orders of Connecticut began with the inhabitants covenanting together under God to maintain and preserve the liberty and purity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus, which we now profess. The very creation of that state, of that territory, of that colony, was out of a desire to preserve the word of God. Amen. Let's stop for a second. I don't know about you, but you look in society, you look in media, you listen to what's going on in our country, you talk to people, even people like-minded as many of us, Where's this gone? Where's this at? I'd like to be able to go to Connecticut and say to somebody, I don't know who's in control up there. I can barely keep up with what's going on here. Say, but you said, look at look at what your look at what your your statutes say of your of your state to maintain and preserve the liberty and purity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus, which we now profess. Where's that gone? We can ask that of that one state. We can ask that of our nation. Where's that gone? Where are we at today? Our desire is not to preserve the word of God anymore. We are pushing and we are pursuing more things of the world than ever. It would be the desire of many of these people. I think I, we would have probably a greater turnout if abortion was nationally accepted, nationally passed into legislation as, as you know, one of your God-given rights. There would be more of a turnout for something like that than anything else. If they can push the agendas of these things of the world, where have we gone? How far away is America truly a Christian nation? 1682, the great law of Pennsylvania was enacted revealing the desire of Penn and the inhabitants of the colony to establish laws as shall best preserve true Christian and civil liberty in opposition to all unchristian 
licentiousness, and unjust practices, whereby God may have his due, Caesar his due, and, all, and the people their due. Like I said, you won't hear that in 2021 legislation. Opposition to all unchristian practices. What an amazing thing. They greatly, greatly revered and reserved Sunday as the day of rest. They followed that. There was places it was, it was, uh, it was in law. Might get yourself locked up if you didn't follow it. How far away from those days we are. At the bottom of the original Declaration of Independence, the Continental Congress ordered copies of the Declaration first to be, first be sent not to town clerks or newspapers, but to parish ministers who were required to read the same to their respective congregations as soon as, they, as soon as divine service is ended in the afternoon on the first Lord's Day after they have received it. In other words, when you receive this declaration, when you're done, when the Lord's business is done and taken care of, read this to your church people. I believe that revival over those many years stirred up in the hearts of people in our country to see the need for a nation where we could be free, where we could worship freely, where we could live freely, where we could work freely, where we could own land and do, do the, and enjoy the, the pleasures uh, that we have, the good things we have. It didn't go first to the newspaper. I tell you what, you can have a thought about something now. You think about buying something, you'll see it on Facebook, advertised. Somebody says something cross to somebody. It's going to be in the news. It's going to be all over the social media. What if we took stuff like that to church? Lord, help us. Lord, I'm stressed about this. Let's take it to church first. That's what That was their thought. This revival had stirred up this need for separation. Let's take it to church. Let's share this with church. That brought to us, I believe that revival sparked the separation needed to, to found our nation. Thomas Jefferson, he was just 33 years old when he was given the task of writing the Declaration of Independence. His knowledge of political philosophy, his eloquence as a writer and his belief in natural rights made him a leader among the patriots. He was not without his political problems. Jefferson's opponents offered, often portrayed him as an infidel and as an atheist. But in reality, he was a strong, staunch supporter of the freedom of religion and considered it a very personal matter. One he often pondered in his writings. Etched it on the marble at the Jefferson Memorial, some of his notes on the state of Virginia. God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect God is just, that his justness, justice cannot sleep forever. In, ex in essence, he's saying... Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? I believe we're living in a day where we've forgotten where the liberty came from. I asked you the question when we began, is America a Christian nation? 110%. At its foundation, I believe it was a Christian nation. These, these men were not perfect. These men sinned. These men done wrong just like you and I. I'm not preaching about them this morning. I'm just trying to share with you 
a burden on my heart for our country. This was the mindset of the foundation of our nation. I believe it started with that revival, people being saved. Hey, I'm, you know what? Throw the tea in the harbor. But at the end of the day, I believe it was that revival that sparked this, this need and this notice for this need of change. And then you've got a man like Thomas Jefferson. He realizes that as long as we recognize God is the one that gives us the opportunity to have freedom, we'll be okay. We've left that. We've let that go. They're trying to cancel Thomas Jefferson. They want to throw him away. They want to get rid of him because you know what? You get rid of the past, you can write whatever you want the future to be. You remember the past and you'll remember it's God that gives liberty. It's God that gives liberty. Noah Webster. You ever heard of him? No, I've never heard of Noah Webster. You ever checked the dictionary? He literally wrote the dictionary. And if you can find an 1828 Webster dictionary, you buy it because it is the best dictionary you'll ever see. Well, say, I got it on my phone. You need a paper copy. You need one. They are awesome. He might get on to me. He was also big into grammar, but maybe he was a southerner. I'm not sure. He would understand. He shaped the education of America in the 18th century, and his legacy still lives on today. As author of the first American dictionary and a son of the American Revolution, Webster sought to give the new country a different kind of freedom, a culture of, it own, of, his own, of its own. Webster considered the most important project was his revision of the King James Bible. Now, let me say this. It was not a revision as in rewriting. It was taking it from the old English to the English we speak today that we can understand. He wasn't changing it. He wanted to make it accessible to every American. He believed that God played an important part in the education of the people and in the preservation of the American experiment. Now, let me say this for just a second. You can get all the education you want. Smartest people I've ever known have lived inside of this book. Charles Spurgeon, uh, matter of fact, he, he said, uh, read many good books, but live in the Bible. Use it as your home. That's, that's the home base for your growth in your life. Here is the advice that Noah Webster gave on how to choose the nation's leaders. This is, I'm telling you, I wish I'd have, I'd have read this back last year. I could have shared this with somebody. When you become entitled to exercise the right of voting for public officers, let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers just men who will rule in the fear of God. Oh, my goodness. Hundreds of years ago, somebody had more sense than about 12 million people have today when they go to the voting room, go to vote. My dad always told me, and I believe it still today, Vote from this book. You're not going to find somebody that's perfect. We're not electing a pastor. We're electing a president or we're electing somebody locally or electing somebody. You're not going to find anybody perfect. But I'm telling you what, somebody says, if if somebody's belief system aligns with this word, that's who I'm going to vote for. Now, they might not do it. That's between them and God. If I vote them in and and they're telling me they're, they're of God and they go do something different, that's on them. I can only take them at their word. They're politicians. Scary. But the reality is, vote according to God's word. This belief system, it's not new. I didn't discover it. You didn't discover it. It's been there all this time. They saw that the preservation of this nation as a as a Christian country came from the, the knowledge and the understanding that we need to elect Christian people into office. Unfortunately, I think we've for so long just said, Well, I like his policy here. I like his idea here. I'll tell you what, if he follows this policy, that's somebody we ought to put in, in power. 
We've went too far. No. No. You can still, you still have the opportunity. We still have the freedom. And while we do, we ought to abide by these words. The preservation, he goes on to say, of a Republican government depends on the faithful discharge of this duty. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. Say, people, America is not a Christian nation. I ask you, is America a Christian nation? It was founded on Christian principles. And just like Noah Webster says here, he says, if the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. All these years ago, all these years of politicians and junk and mess, why are we, all, why, why are we here? I don't believe we follow this like we should. I don't believe like, oh, Thomas Jefferson said, I don't believe that we've remembered where liberty comes from like we should. The commander-in-chief, by the way, our first commander-in-chief and only commander-in-chief that actually rode into battle, George Washington. He said, I now make it my earnest prayer that God would have you and the state over which you preside in his holy protection, that he would incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to the government, to entertain a brotherly affection and love for one another for the fellow citizens of the United States at large. He wanted and desired unification as a country. And I believe that he understood and he knew that came from God. He says in a different statement, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. As in what you believe and how you live. That's the most important parts to the success as, as a country. I'm telling you what, I would probably, my, my my chin would hit the floor if I heard some of these politicians say something like that today. If you hear somebody say something like that, I, it would be all the, the news for weeks. And when they try to, they get shut down by somebody. We're almost done. I'm going to wrap back up in God's word. That's the most important thing this morning. John Adams, he says, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. In other words, this country is as it was shaped and as it was founded, it was founded for Christians. Benjamin Rush says, Christianity is the only true and perfect religion. And that in pro proportion as mankind adopts it, its principles and obey its precepts, they will be wise and happy. I ask you, is America, America a Christian nation? It was certainly founded that way. It was certainly founded that way. John Jay said, the Bible is the best of all books, for it is the word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue, therefore, to read it and regulate your life by its precepts. Say, are you just reading after all the preachers of the day? No. They were, some of them were preachers. These men literally founded our country. John Marshall says, the American population is entirely Christian. <laughs> this was written a long time ago. The American population is entirely Christian, and with us, Christianity and religion are identified. It would be strange indeed if with such 
a people, our institutions did not presuppose Christianity. It did not often refer to it and exhibit, relation, exhibit relations with it. How? 200, I think, two, 245 years, I think, since the foundation of our country, how it's changed. Say, is America a Christian nation? There's never been a day that it's been farther from being a Christian nation. But it was founded that way. And to take this day, and I, I'm not usually, Mom said it before we came in, I'm not usually a topic, or I don't usually preach on the holidays. <laughs> well, it'll be 4th of July, and we're uh, you know, reading in Exodus. But the reality is, America was founded as a Christian nation. These people had the conviction of their hearts. As this John Marshall says, our institutions, our institutions did not presuppose Christianity and did not often refer to it and exhibit relations with it. He would be, he would under, he would know what's going on. The very foundation of our country came from God, came from belief in God, came from the understanding of God's word. Is America a Christian nation? It was certainly founded that way. We've never, I, I mean. I don't know, I hadn't lived that long, but I've never seen a day further away from God. I read a statistic and it said it took, I think it was from the time that someone invented the wheel till they created the chariot or the, the wagon or something along those lines. Before transportation went from a wheel to a wagon, chariot, something like that, it was 3,800 years is how long it took that to happen. In the span of, I think, 150 years, we can fly. Automobiles have been invented. We've put a man on the moon. I mean, in a literally 100, 150 years, we've had all this progress. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But there has never been more of a degress spiritually. Is America a Christian nation? Right now, I... I don't think so. We've never been further away from where we started. Psalm 85. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to thine anger toward us to cease. Verse 4. Verse 5 says, Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? So that's not about America. No, it's not. But you know what a psalm is? A psalm is a story that is to be sung. Over and over and over. And I'm singing that today from my heart. I ain't going to sing it out loud. I don't even know the tune. I don't know the key. Turn us, O God, from my very heart. Turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thine anger toward us to cease. There's something we're doing that's angering God. I don't believe that. Have you seen the last year and a half? How quickly in disarray this country can go? I mean, just in a moment, we just go from hustle, bustle, never look, I mean, we look so different than we did a year and a half, two years ago. Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Tell you what, we're setting these generations coming up for failure. The way, we're, the way our nation is living. The people that are getting elected, and I'm not just talking about the president. I'm talking from the guy that's a janitor down at the courthouse to the president to everybody 
We are putting the wrong people in power. We've been doing it for a while. What are we setting the next generations up for? What, what's Riley going to grow up with? What's these youngins in the back going to see? What are they going to deal with? What are they going to face? Will thou not revive us again? That thy people may rejoice in thee. I believe God wants to. I believe he will. But I'm telling you what it's going to take us coming together, sure. praying, binding together spiritually. Our prayer ought to be, Lord, let me get all me out of the way. We live in the self-entitlement, self-enlightenment, self-whatever, self-age is what we live in. i got to get me out of the way. Lord, like George Whitefield and Jonathan Edwards, I might have to preach to some people that aren't just like me. I might have to bind together with some people that ain't just like me. And you know what? He'll separate the wheat from the chaff. You'll find that's what he did in the Great Awakening. Those that would stand against the revival, God divided that, those people. We ought to remember our true source of freedom there in John 3.16, Jesus Christ. I believe these people we've read about, I believe the stories I've shared, I believe the history I've shared with you, I believe they knew that and they understand that. They understood that. Our freedom that we get from Christ, it should create good citizens. Put them in mind, Titus 3, 1 through 5, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready for, to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no, no brawlers, but gentle, showing, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Our freedom from Christ should create us, make us good citizens. But something interesting I never saw in there is that those that aren't, we know where they're coming from. Because I tell you what, most of the time you'll find, like it says there in that scripture, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. And it goes on and it names all these things we used to be without Christ. Those that are turning our nation away from God, away from the Lord. I remember during the election, Papaw said about a few people, he said, I just think about them, pray for them. They have souls too. That's a hard thing. We were reading about loving your enemies. I tell you what, those that are standing against God, those that will disrespect God, those that will disrespect those that I love, that's, I consider that an enemy. Just to be honest with you, that's just how I am. You don't, I, that's a hard thing for me. But I'm learning I'm learning, I'm learning. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. A lot of them just don't know. Our freedom should create good citizens and it should create servants. 
not sloths. 1 Peter 2, 15 and 16 says, For so is the will of God that with well-doing he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. I hear people say it's a free country. This is America. And it is. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. But you know what? It doesn't give us a license to just do whatever we want. There should be order. We've got a work to do. The key to turning back, turning America back towards God starts right here. Starts at home. Starts in your heart individually. Starts with us. Our freedom given through Christ. It should make us good citizens. It should make us realize that, you know, I don't abide by these rules because that's the godly thing to do. I don't agree with all of them. There's some of them I will absolutely have to stand 100% against. But it should create servants and not sloths. It's not time to be slothful. It's not time to slow down. It's not time to lay down. I'm guilty of that. Is America a Christian nation? Right now, I can't say so. I can't say that it is. But I know where we started. And I love this country. I love it. There's been too many people, too many men and women, lay their lives down for it just to for us just to stand by and let it fall apart we've got to pray it might not be according to God's will that it turns back but you know what I believe we, we should pray I don't know what his will is I don't know what his plan is but I want to turn back to him as a country I love it it's still the greatest country on earth <laughs> it still is like I said, we could wake up, wake up in any other geographic location and we'd be in, in a mess. But you know what? I want my country to honor God. I want my country to love him. Got one more song left.